Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. I find it weird that we've gone 56 episodes and we haven't asked the most basic question. What is Zen? What is Zen? What is Zen? I think I'm not supposed to answer that. It's in the it's in the Zen rule book. You're not supposed to or is that Fight Club? You're not supposed to talk about Zen. <laughs> no, what happens in Zen stays in Zen. Is that what it is? No, that was Vegas. That's two episodes back. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. The one rule about Zen is that you can't talk about Zen. But that's from a great misunderstanding about Zen, which uh, also, you know, this is the reason that the bookstores are filled with hundreds and hundreds of books talking about how you can't talk about Zen. Some people say, if you say anything about Zen, that's not Zen. But that's a great misunderstanding, because there's something that we cannot express in words. Because to express in words is to objectify. And what we're doing in our practice is leaping beyond the subject and the object. So the minute you say something and turn it into a thing, you've objectified it, you've separated it, you've made it small. And that we cannot talk about, because words are just, as I say, a finger pointing at the moon. But, of course you can talk about Zen. Would would you like to hear my uh, definition of Zen? Sure, go ahead. Okay. According to Wikipedia, Zen is a school of Mahayana Buddhism that originated in China during the Tang Dynasty, known as the Chan School. That doesn't answer what is Zen. That's just historical information. Oh, okay. What is Zen? Ah, Zen is a two-headed crow. No, you're supposed to say something, uh, you know, illogical to express what Zen is, because Zen cannot be captured in words. Or for podcast listeners, listeners, I'm I'm now drawing a circle in the air. It's not the circle. It's not the air. It's your mind. Yes, and I may have lost it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, why can't you talk about Zen, and why is the Wikipedia listing wrong? It's not. I'm reminded of the first line of the Tao Te Ching that goes something like, the Tao that you can speak of is not the true Tao. And he's speaking about it. Exactly. And that's the kind of the fight club thing, isn't it? Right. No, you know, our thing is there's something beyond words and ideas and separation. But we also believe it's in this world of words and ideas of separation. And our practice is, to put the two together. So Zen is this putting together and bringing it to life, which is actually what we have been talking about here for the last 52 episodes. We may not have addressed directly what is Zen, but everything, everything we have done here is about Zen. And all our practice is about Zen. 
The whole world is Zen. We're on Zencaster. Yes, we use a service called Zencaster to record these podcasts. Just coincidentally, we didn't choose it because of the name. Right. But if everything's Zen, then nothing isn't Zen. So how can we even answer the question, what is Zen? Everything is Zen, but we don't realize it. Ah, so that's so the key. Our Zen practice is to realize that everything, even the things we don't think are Zen, are Zen. Literally everything in reality, as I like to say, everything in since the Big Bang, and then some, plus the kitchen sink, and then some, is this reality that we are savoring and tasting and realizing through our Zen practice. But most of us go through life with blinders and we don't realize. So that is our Zen practice. Now, Zen, according to Wikipedia, is an early reference to Meditation. Yes, the main feature of Zen is sitting meditation. Except if you ask many a Zen teacher, they will say that's a misunderstanding. And what do you say as a Zen teacher? Dogen said that the name Zen was given to us by accident because people thought we were meditating. Just because we sit with crossed legs facing a wall and it looks like meditation and you know, sometimes a duck is not a duck. We say it's not meditation because meditation is trying to achieve something. And as you've heard me say here many times, we're sitting not to achieve because this thing that's not a thing that we call in words that we can't use is not reached by trying to attain it. And when we stop trying to attain it or call it, that's when we get it. You got it? Yeah, I think so. I think you need to explain again for people who haven't listened to the previous 55 episodes, um, the type of Zen that we practice is Soto Zen, and the main practice is Shikantaza, which is just sitting. And as you say, it's not meditation, even though it's meditation. Or to paraphrase Dogen, it's kind of non-meditation, right? It is a three-headed crow. No. Uh, it is sitting with radically nothing to attain, sitting with the giving up of all goals or need for more or less, nothing to take away from the experience, nothing to add to it, no other place to go, nothing more to be. It is the opposite of what we do as human beings, which is get up in the morning and immediately go, go, go and think about what we need and objectify everything or everyone in our life. This is dropping all the names and separation and all the other places to be and just to sit. And that's why it's a nameless experience. But we still have to make the decision to just sit. So yes. there's still something going on. It's not just happening out of the blue. No, no. You have to make the decision to get over to the cushion and to put your butt on the cushion. Once butt is on the cushion, you are Buddha. It is Buddha's butt on the cushion. <laughs> you are sitting there, and you drop anything more to do, because the pinnacle of sitting is sitting. It is, how rarely do we do something just to do it? For example, I'm talking to you now to make this podcast, or I went to the gym today to do my exercise, right? Because I want to lose a few pounds, right? Or I made my coffee this morning 
because I want to get my coffee. When we sit, there's nothing to make, nothing to lose, nothing to gain, no product from it besides sitting itself. It is what rocks do. It is what mountains do. It is what trees do. Trees look like they're growing towards the sun, but they don't think, oh, I have to get there. They just do. We just sit because it is just doing for doing's sake, or as Frank Sinatra said, just do be, do be, do. It's hard, though, for us as a goal-oriented species to drop the goal of attempting to attain something when we sit. Right. It is. And uh, I uh, just published an article that said, uh, you know, if you're doing meditation in order to feel more peaceful, in order to be more productive, in order to feel better, in order to improve your concentration, I'm sure it's a wonderful thing you're doing, but it's not shikantaza. As shikantaza, our style of sitting, it is wrong. When you sit just to sit, not wanting to be more peaceful, not wanting to be more productive, not wanting to be happier, not wanting to be more focused. That is shikantaza. But guess what? It's a, it's a tricky thing. Tricky, tricky thing. You may actually find that by dropping all that I need, I want, I'm chasing after, you actually are more accepting and peaceful. And you may not be always happy, happy all the time, but a certain joy pervades things. because. It is our running and chasing that is the cause of our suffering. I think that was last week's episode. It's important to point out that this is the Soto Zen approach and that the Rinzai Zen approach is very different. In fact, they are constantly trying Rinzai. Oh, the competitors. The other guys, the The other other team. team, yeah. Yeah. We're like the AFL, they're like the NFL, that kind of thing. No, no, no. We're the NFL. They're the AFL. Okay. But their um, meditation is very goal-oriented, isn't it? No. I got dissuaded from that early on. You would think it is because they're sitting focused on a koan. And again, I'm speaking now for the, the other club. So if I'm just getting it wrong, guys, uh, write Kurt a letter, not me, right? You know. <laughs> but they're sitting focused on a koan and pouring themselves into the koan, pouring, 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 but dropping everything else dropping any before or after or anything more than the koan. So actually, it's not that dissimilar. It's a a very complicated method. And then they have an opening experience, and you would think that's the goal. But if they're just chasing after it, that kind of defeats the purpose. So they emphasize a little bit more these big opening experiences where all the separation, all the names, all the me and you uh, drops away, and there's just a big how to say, inter-identity and interflowing of all things, right? But that's exactly what we're going for. So it's like the old song, they're taking the high road, and we're taking the low road, and we both get to Lock Loman, you know. Remember that old song? <laughs> Isn't it possible that for some people, koan practice is about solving a koan and moving on to the next? I mean, certain Rinzai schools have a curriculum that students have to follow in yes. order to in order to get, I don't know, a certificate, a diploma of, you know, a realized Zen master? I I can't speak for their practice, but um, somehow as they're moving through these koans, there's no place to go. And it's the same in our practice. You know, we don't just sit there. Then we get up and we put it into practice in life. We put it into practice all through our day, whether it's in a temple, 
cleaning the temple and ringing bells, or it's in uh, our daily life being a parent or or working or being a, a citizen. You know, you have to bring this to life. So it is a, how to say, daily application and learning experience. It's not a dead thing. So it doesn't just stay on the cushion. It doesn't, you know, what, what's on the cushion does not just stay in the cushion. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> this one goes off into the world. So it's, I think it's not that dissimilar. We like to say that it's all the Genjo koan for us. The koan that is realized in everything right here. That's our koan, you see. Uh, me talking to you right now is my koan, my friend. So what is Zen? I have no idea. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, let's see what else it says. It's pretty good. The term Zen is derived from the Japanese pronunciation of the middle Chinese word chan. But this is actually wrong. What actually happened, according to Red Pine, who's a great translator, is in the old days in South China, they had a dialect, and they would pronounce down there, Jen, Jen, Jen. So in the Japanese heard that Chinese, Jen, and they said Zen. So we actually, the Japanese pronunciation is actually closer to the original than the modern Chinese. Yes, but the original was the word in Sanskrit, I'm not sure how to pronounce, dhyana, which means meditation. And maybe that was pronounced Jen as well. Jana, Jana. Yes, I don't, I don't, is that my, how it's my pronounced? Sanskrit. My Sanskrit is not rusty. It's basically non-existent. But yeah. uh, yes, yes. But again, Dogen's point was that the name uh, Chana, Jana became Chana, which became Jenna, which became Jen, and became Zen, and yeah. The name is not important. No, the, the name, name is, not is important. just a name. It's just So a what name. is Zen? I'm going to keep asking until you come up with an answer. It is a four-headed crow. In episode 3,647, we might have an answer. Zen is... Wikipedia is not wrong. Zen is also a, uh, a tradition and uh, institutions that people think the real Zen cannot be about, you know, putting robes and lighting incense and ringing bells. The real Zen is just sitting and being this... Whatever it is. And anything that says it's Zen that is in Japan with a monk with robes and but that's not right. It's also the how to say the whole vessel that keeps this tradition alive and teaches people the way to taste it. So Zen is the the monks and the monasteries and and the the old books and the stories. And now it's us sitting here talking about it in modern terms. And as we talked about before, it's about bringing it out into the world. Zen is not just sitting there tasting this thing we cannot say. Zen is all of it, the whole package of practices and traditions and modernizations that makes us taste it, taste it. That's what Zen So if someone asks you this question, I don't know, you're in an elevator and you're wearing your robes, and someone says, well, what is Zen? How do you explain it in just... What, what's your elevator pitch? Zen is a five-headed crow. <laughs> that crow's getting more heads every time you say that thing, yeah. And then I light incense and scream, and they call the police. Yes. Because I'm doing it yeah. in an elevator. Yeah. Yeah. One of the problems, though, you're talking about the history, is that... 
We have a concept that was created that goes back to the original Buddha, and it's gone through history and it's been influenced and flavored each time it's gone into a different country. The original yeah. Indian subcontinent form of meditation was one thing, then it got to China and it got mixed with Taoism. Uh, when it got to Japan, it got different things mixed. So there's a strong influence of the culture over time that can't be separated from it. And can we strip that away to get to the essence of what Zen really is? Yes, there is, you know, it's unfashionable to say this. There really is something placeless and timeless about that aspect of Zen that cannot be spoken because it sweeps in all place and time. It literally is all time and timeless and all place and cannot be pinned down. It is this, the great jello of the sky. I, I call it plugging my book, Zen Master's Dance. The great dance. You can't nail it down. But it didn't go back to Buddha, or at least not all of it. I mean, uh, you know, Buddhism goes back to, to Buddha. But when Bu we, 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 we've talked about this many times, when it came to China, man, it met the Chinese culture and the Taoist sentiments at the time. And when the two amalgamated, then is the first time you could really speak of Zen. But is that essence of Zen? Can we trace it back to the original essence of Buddhism? Yes, and not only Buddhism. In, in other words, is there a thread of what Zen is that is flavored and colored over time, every century and every culture differently, but there's still the heart that's the same? Yes, yes. I think there was something about non-dualism, this dropping away that is found in the earliest traditions of Buddhism. And I'm going to say it is not only Buddhism, it is in other Indian traditions, it is in the Christian mystics, it is in the Jewish mystics, it is sometimes in Einstein. Maybe he felt this when all his math dropped away somehow, and he just felt the wholeness of it all. Uh, there is something, it, you know, it's the old perennial philosophy that is a little on the outs these days. But I actually, you know, think there really is something to it. There is a, a, this common denominator that of all things that sweeps it in. Now, I'm going to say, people come to me, then, then you're saying that Arvaita and this, these other mysticisms are the same as Zen. And I often say no, because we have our way of cooking it. We have our approach. And so it's not the same. Uh, and I, I have a very difficult, I, the, the, how to say this taste that we're trying to taste is the same. The ingredients are the same, but there are many ways to cook with noodles, you know? So you're making spaghetti and I'm making chow mein and the other guy's making Japanese soba or American, uh, what do we make? Uh, deep fried uh, chocolate, whatever, <laughs> noodles, whatever Deep it is. fried butter, yeah. Yeah. So there are all these different ways. So uh, that's the difference. But the essence is the same. Okay, you mentioned non-dualism before. You'll have yeah. to explain that. Some of our listeners might not understand that. Non-dualism basically is the, the giving up of the vision of dualism and separation. Okay, so what's dualism? This is going to be one of these recursive things where you have to uh, define something to get on to the next stage. That everything in the world is separate 
and there's me and everything that's not me. There's you and there's the chair and the mountain and the table and there's France and there's Canada, all these separate things and Mars over there. And then when we sweep it all in, as if tossing it into a soup, a great soup where it all the flavors amalgamate, but you cannot identify any separate thing, that is this wholeness. But, but, some people stop there, and that's a big mistake in uh, Zen and many practices. Oh, the wholeness, the soup, they want to taste it. They want all the separation, all the separate things to disappear. And we say, no, you must realize that the separate things and the wholeness were never apart. So our practice is to taste the wholeness in the separation and the separation that is just the wholeness. And when you can encounter life from these two ways at once, we call it wisdom. Wisdom. Yes. Yes, my son. It is wisdom. It is a six-headed crow. That's pretty good. You should write a book about this. Yes, I should. But at the same time, we're one, but we're separate. No, it's not one. That's the thing. Is the thing. To have a one, you need to have a two, right? Ah, uh, so at the same time, we're not two, but we're also two. What happens when you toss out the window one, two, zero, and everything else? What are you left with? Here's another one. Some people say it's to be in the present. And I say, okay, now what happens when you toss out the past and the future? What does the word present mean? Present is only a comparison to something, right? One is only a comparison to two and zero and four, right? But when you really toss everything out, what does the word present even mean? What does the word one even mean? So we say sometimes, uh, instead of saying it's all one, we say it's not one, but it's not two. Okay, here's a quote from a book called Realizing Genjo Koan by Shaku Okamura, who is someone on our team. The present moment is the only reality we experience because the past is already gone and the future has not yet come. Yet there is nothing, no actual unit of time we can say constitutes the present moment. The present moment does not exist and therefore time itself does not really exist. Still, from this present moment, which is empty and does not exist, the entire past and the entire future are reflected. The present moment, which has no length, is the only true reality of life as we experience it. And since everything is always changing, at each present moment, everything arises and perishes over and over again. Each moment, everything is new and fresh. Dig it, man. That's hot. Yeah. (laughs) Okamura, he's my man. Yes. Great stuff. He is. That's a very good book. Link in the show notes. Okay. So is Zen that yogurt that I saw in the supermarket that's Zen yogurt? Or is it the Zen clothes that I see? on Amazon, or is it, is it the, the Zen, I don't know, the Zen meditation music made with synthesizers and beats? Well, we said that everything in the universe, the kitchen sink, and then some, is Zen. But not everything is Zen. So what those products are usually shooting for is an image of peace and maybe some kind of healthy living. And this is supposed to be very Zen. Get your Zen on, man like that. And, you know, it's not a bad, well, it's a bad thing to use it to sell products because you're just, basically someone's just trying to make a buck uh, on Madison Avenue, you know, advertising, selling something with the Zen image. But the image of peace and the image of uh, 
you know, just living simply is not bad. Of course, if you're buying all the Zen yogurt and the Zen furniture and your Zen podcaster and everything else, you're not really living that simply because you got all this Zen stuff. You know, I'm guilty <laughs> of that too. I'm, I'm not saying. But uh, the actual Zen, is it about living peaceful and simply? Not really always. I told you we see life two ways. It's not the peace of always feeling peaceful. It's the peace of feeling that the whole universe is one piece or even beyond one piece, just you can't even say one, and a peace that even includes the times that are not peaceful. You know, we say that the peaceful times are peaceful and the not peaceful times we are at peace with. It's like a joy, I sometimes say, that is a joy to sometimes be happy and a joy to sometimes be brokenhearted. So it's not what people often think about Zen is just feeling peaceful all the time. It's being at peace with this human condition, I think. I was just looking on Amazon. I searched for Zen products, and I think I want to buy the Zen Clipper Precise Safer Pet Nail Trimmer. What is it? It is Zen Clipper Precise Safer Pet Nail Trimmer. Yes, yes. Uh, we all need one. For our Zen pet, there is a koan in that someplace. Yes, it is. Oh, the the, Zen, the name Zen has been placed on everything, man. Even if you don't don't even ask me half the the products that have Zen on them. But uh, do actually, they do that in Japan as well? Zen? Yeah. No, Zen has an image here. It's actually quite uh, different. Zen has an image of being pain, painful and unattractive, and. Ah. Uh, yeah, it's one of the reasons I have great difficulty sometimes to get Japanese people interested in Zen because usually when they were in high school, they were sent to a Zen temple to get some discipline and to suffer. Right. And to be hit with a stick. And so they associate with their, in their mind with pain. And the only other contact they have with Zen is they go to the temple because their grandpa died. So they associate it with death. Yeah. And then the. The other time they, 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 they see Zen is when they have some trouble in their life. Like they just got a divorce. They're wondering who they are. You know, so they go after Zen to try to figure it out. And, and so in their minds, it's associated with pain and death and unpleasantness. You know, and I, I try to tell them, no, no, come over to my place. It's actually very pleasant and relaxing. And they say, when are you going to hit me with a stick? No, I'm not hitting you with a stick. <laughs> you know, it's, it's come over and. They, they say, well, I'm going to sit like this until the sweat pours out my brow. I say, you can, but, you know, just be comfortable sitting there. So uh, it's really hard to teach Zen to Japanese people. That's quite a paradox. It is. It's like a eight-headed crow. <laughs> okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? There is no place to go. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.